This is a sermon from New City Presbyterian Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. To learn more about New City or to hear more sermons in this series, visit newcitycincy.org. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, If there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. God. Well, good morning, New City. My name is Ryan Zhang. I am one of the pastors here. If you just started coming to New City recently and you haven't seen me before, that's because I've been on sabbatical for three months. I'm grateful for our time away to unplug and to rest. A special thanks for all the staff and volunteers in New City who filled in for me during this busy season. We couldn't do this without your hard work. Our family did a little bit of traveling for the first half of our sabbatical, and then we lay low and rested for the second half. There were some days I only changed out of my pajamas just to pick the kids up from school. I think there was one day I didn't change out my PJs at all. One of the most encouraging experiences during the whole time was, um, or even now, is running into people and hearing that um, we were missed. Of course, um, one time Pastor Josh pretended he didn't know me. <laughs> but now we're back. Um, just wanted to say it's good to be back. I also wanted to make, take this opportunity to remind you all, I have been gone for more than three months, and um, I haven't preached for a good while. I feel a little bit rusty. My jokes may fall a little bit flat today, so be patient with me, okay? Keep your expectations low this morning. <laughs> all right, our fruit of the Spirit this morning is joy. What is it? Well, my wife, Abigail, said early this week that joy is the most confusing fruit of the Spirit because it's hard to put a finger on it. We usually understand it as what is not, right? It's not, we know it's not happiness. It's not positivity. It's not just personality. It's not silliness. Otherwise, I'll be the most joyful person in the world. It's not based on circumstances, We know what joy is not, but it's hard to define what it is. And yet, when you have joy, you know it. You could be happy. You feel positive. You are more optimistic. You may even get silly. 
So in a sense, joy is more than the sum of all these things. And here's how one renowned theologian defines joy. Joy is typically characterized by a sense of euphoria, pleasure, and contentment. It's funny to see how like quickly, how most people... And can be accompanied by a physical sensation such as laughter, smiling, or tears of happiness. It's often described as a deep, lasting sense of happiness that goes beyond mere fleeting pleasure and can be a source of motivation, inspiration, and resilience in the face of adversity. It's pretty good, right? Well, can non-Christians have joy? Of course you can. You can feel it when you look at your kids. When you fall in love or feel loved, when you're content, joy is something that we could all connect with at least. But here's the difference about joy as the fruit of the Spirit. It's a constant and abiding reality of your life. Do you have that? Joy as a constant and abiding reality in your life. Now, some people go on sabbaticals and learn new hobbies. I think Pastor Mike learned about um, woodworking. Some go and read big books and write big books. Some train for a marathon. I did none of that. But I did master something that made me really proud. I learned to solve the Rubik's Cube. (laughs) And I spent many evenings memorizing the steps and the algorithms And I could solve it now without watching a YouTube video. And I have always thought that solving the Rubik's Cube is just a bunch of random twists and turns. But that's not true. There's an algorithm to it. But you know that's true about the fruit of the Spirit as well. The growing the fruit of the Spirit is not just a random work of chance. There's a pattern, an algorithm to it. Even for something as evasive as joy. Now, it's okay to be skeptical, skeptical about this. You know, how can there be an algorithm of joy? Well, hear me out, okay? See, I've always thought that growing the fruit of spirit, it's God's work. It's like passively laying on the beach, sipping on your piña colada, and saying to God, grow me. And that's not true. That's not true. There's a pattern, an algorithm to growing the, the fruit of the spirit. We have to take an active part in it. Don't, not, don't just take my words for it. You know, past, um, Apostle Paul, there's a strange sentence in Philippians 2. Paul says, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. What does that mean? Well, have you ever wondered about that before? And we're Protestants. You know, fundamentally, we believe that our salvation is by faith, not by work. What does it mean to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling? Well, yes, salvation is by faith in Jesus Christ, who lived a righteous life and died for our sins. Now, our sins goes to him on the cross, and his righteousness accredited to us. We can do nothing to earn that. It's a free gift. But we need to work hard to cultivate the transformation that this salvation brings to our lives. We're active partners with God to work out the benefits of salvation here. As Pastor Josh said two weeks ago, we can provide the right atmosphere and environment for the fruit of the Spirit to grow. 
So how do we work out joy? Is there a joy algorithm that we can follow? Well, yes. And here it is. Ready? First, joy algorithm, number one, joy is safe. Joy is safe. You may go without saying that in order to have joy, we must have a sense of security and peace. It's hard to rejoice unless we feel safe. Right? That's why you can see in our passage, Paul tells the Philippians to rejoice in verse 4, and then immediately after that, he addresses the anxiety and talk about the peace of God. That's why joy and peace are close to each other in the list of the fruit of spirit. And in fact, peace and joy are often mentioned together in Paul's letters. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. And may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Now, peace is the foundation of joy. It's the soil out of which joy grows. It may be helpful for you to revisit Pastor Ray's sermon last week on, on peace. You cannot have joy without peace. Maybe that's, that's why even we have so many things that to amuse ourselves with. So many things that can make us happy and comfortable. Joy is so elusive because peace is elusive. Things can change any minute. You know, sickness, school shootings, accidents. The rug can be pulled out from under you suddenly. You know, I love long airplane rides, especially one of those big aircrafts. I know that makes me like a weirdo, but imagine this, okay? I'm in the air. No one can call me or message me. There are almost unlimited entertainment options right in front of me. Or I can just close my eyes and take a nap. Or I can put out a book and read. It's one of those 13 and 14 hour flights. I can fall asleep, read half of a book, and still have time to watch a couple movies. Now, there are constantly people walking up and down the aisles to serve me food and drink. And then there's the excitement of going somewhere exotic, right? What's not to like about that? But once I'm in the air, I realize I only love the thought of flying. Because I could be enjoying my movies, sipping on my drinks. You know what happens? Turbulence. The plane begins to bounce sideways and I get tossed out of my seat and the, the seatbelt sign is now turned back on and I'm gripping onto the armrest and all the joy vanishes in an instant because I don't have peace anymore. We live kind of like that. It's not like there are a lot of things that truly threatens our life every day, although tragedies do happen, but just a little bit of turbulence could shake us up pretty badly and steals away all the joy. Now, how do we deal with this? Well, notice Paul doesn't tell the Philippians to avoid turbulence, to shy away from scary things. And he tells them in verse 1, Stand firm, thus in the Lord. And in verse 6, Do not be anxious about anything. That means anxiety does happen. There will be turbulences to make you anxious. But you don't have to be. Do what instead? In everything, by prayer and supplication, 
with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. So we are so used to sharing our anxiety around with each other. Try passing anxiety above instead of around. Let God hear you. Trust Him to work it out with you. I was reading a book earlier this year about Hudson Taylor's spiritual practices. And Hudson Taylor is this famous missionary to China in the 19th century that really opened up the country to the gospel. And there was a story about Hudson Taylor when he was young, and he was working as a medical apprentice in England, and his boss would often forget to pay him, and he would run out of food. But instead of reminding his boss to pay him, he would pray. He would ask God to remind his boss, and sometimes he would go weeks without a paycheck, so he just kept praying. And when things got really desperate, he would receive money from an unexpected source, where his employer would suddenly remember to pay him. God didn't let him starve. Now that sounds like a low bar to meet, but by his hunger and his desperation, Hudson Taylor learned to cast his anxiety on God and rely on God to act. And this spiritual secret was the core of his identity when he was on a mission field in China. He would face far greater crises in China, things that he cannot tell people about. We couldn't remind people about. But he knew what to do when he became desperate. So his joy algorithm: step one, if you lack joy in your life, take inventory of what's making you anxious, what's robbing you of your peace, and before you do anything about it, before you tell anybody about it. Pray. Pass your anxiety upward. And Paul says, "And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus." Now, Paul didn't say that God would immediately give you what you ask for. He didn't say that God would answer your prayers right away. But God would give you peace. He will rebuild the foundation of peace, which gives birth to joy. How does this happen? Let's go to joy algorithm step two. Joy algorithm step two. Joy is seen. See the secret of praying to God, bringing anxiety to Him, even before you get any responses, you begin to see Him. Or as Paul says, the Lord is at hand; He is nearby. So instead of seeing your problems, you begin to see God. Look again in Paul's commands at verse four: Rejoice. He says twice: Rejoice again. I would say rejoice, but that's an object to the Christian joy. It's not just an emotion that we manufacture out of nowhere, but doesn't just wash over us. To rejoice is an active motion; it's a verb, has a specific focus. And Paul says, "Rejoice in the Lord." Joy is not just an emotion that comes and goes; it's a byproduct of our thoughts and beliefs. For example, you are an accountant. It's April first, tax season. The busiest time of the year. You are miserable. How do you get through it? You probably daydream about your Disney vacation in May in the next month. You picture the lazy river. Or the parades and the fireworks, your little kids laughing on 
Magic Mountain or whatever it is, you know, or you're 35 weeks pregnant, your feet are swollen, your back aches every time you walk, you're losing sleep, your husband's getting more weird and weird every day. <laughs> How do you get through it? You dream about the life of this baby outside. How sweet his or her smile will be. How good it is to hold the baby. You know how I, could, how I got through last year? When I was in a tough stretch, I would daydream about our sabbatical. You know, I watched travel videos or videos of airplanes that we'll be flying onto. And a lot of you asked me how my sabbatical was. And the truth is, the act of looking forward to the sabbatical, the expectation of it, was more exciting than the sabbatical itself. The joy is a byproduct of our thoughts and beliefs. When your mind is focused on the things that give you joy, even when you feel miserable, it lifts your spirit up. That's why Paul says in verse 8, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. If you lack joy, here's joy algorithm step two. Okay? Step one, take inventory of your anxiety and pray to God. Step two, think. Take every thought captive and focus on the object of your joy. And I'm not just telling to daydream or to fantasize about something lowly. Paul says, rejoice in Christ. Focus your thoughts on Christ, who is true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, and worthy of praise. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Think of the God who created you and gave you life. Think of the God who rescued Israel from slavery with his power. Think of the God who teaches us what it means to be righteous and good. Think of the God who gave himself for you on the cross to redeem you from your sin. Think of the God who called you out of your unbelief and gave you faith. He is the Father of light from whom all good and perfect gifts come. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the, world, the sin of the world. He is the Spirit of life that would raise you up from the dead. He is the light of the world, the bread of life, the living water, the way, the truth, and the life. Think. Think of these things. That's why, right, that's why regular Bible reading is so important. Because it takes you out of anxiety and distractions and focus your thoughts on Him. And this God is not distant or unattainable. Paul writes in Romans 10, Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth, in your heart. The Lord is at hand. His words live, His words in you. He came to dwell among us. He gave himself for you. He listens to your prayers and your petitions. His spirit dwells inside of you. And notice Paul says, rejoice in Christ always. He is always near. He is constant. He is a constant and abiding reality in your life. That's one of the songs we often sing says, So, then know thy full salvation Rise over sin and fear and care. Joy to find in every station something still to do or bear. Think what spirit 
dwells within thee. Think what father's smiles are thine. Think that Jesus died to win thee. Child of heaven, can thou repine? So joy algorithm. Step one, joy is safe. Take inventory of anxiety and pray to God. Step two, joy is seen. Think about the great God who gave himself for you. And lastly, step three, joy is shared. If you cast anxiety upward in step one, now you spread your joy outward. Look at how Paul addresses the friends in the Philippians church. He says, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown. That his joy and his crown, the entire book of Philippians, is immersed with joy. It's the most endearing letter in the New Testament. If you read it, we can feel its joy and it invites us in. Now, why did Paul love the Philippians so much? Is it just because he converted them? Maybe. But the next few verses give us more clue. So we see in verse 2 that there are two women in the church who didn't get along with each other. And Paul writes to the other people in the church to help them. And the reason they should help them is, one, because they are fellow co-workers in the gospel. They got to work together. But two, just their names are all written in the book of life. They have to, they, that means they, are, they share the same salvation in Christ. God has saved them all and brought them into his body. In other words, they share the same joy. That shared joy should melt away all of their personal differences. And when we come on Sunday mornings here to sing together, to pass the peace of Christ, when you come up here for communion, these are tangible reminders that we share in the same joy in Christ. That's why it's so important for us to be here together physically. Your names are in the book of life. So we can physically, when we come together on Sunday, we celebrate the Lord's Supper every week, we can physically experience the shared joy with our church family. I know that's something we do well here in New City because we have visitors come to tell us all the time. And they feel this warmth in New City. Because they can feel the joy that we share with each other. It's contagious. It reaches out and brings out our outsiders in. So the joy algorithm, step one, take inventory of your anxiety and pray to God. Step two, think about the guy who gives himself to you, for you. And step three, share your joy outwards and invite other peoples in. And you may notice that each application is pretty simple, right? Pray. Read your Bible, come to church, take communion. Nothing fancy. These are what we traditionally call the ordinary means of grace. The ordinary means of grace. God gave these common practices to grow our faith, to increase our joy. If you forget anything else, everything else I said this morning, but you just practice these things, your joy will increase. But here's one more secret about joy that sets us apart from all other algorithms and formulas. Because there's someone else who wants to share his joy with us. And will not rest until we share in his joy fully. And this is where we go from algorithm to divine. Jesus said to his disciples, 
These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. The book of Hebrews says, Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. What is Jesus' joy? It's you. It's that his joy may be in you, and you may have it to the full. God is so committed to your joy that he went to the cross to save you from your sins. Not just to give you a joy here that flees, but a joy that's with him that lasts forever. He unites himself in our mystery so that we can be united with him in his joy. He is seated at the right hand of the throne of God right now to make all things for our good. He sees our ugliness. He sends his spirit to make us beautiful so that one day we can also be true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commandable, excellent, and worthy of praise. Many businesses and even faiths can give you algorithm for joy, but is it in control of your destiny? Has it ever sacrificed itself for you? Does it see your joy as its joy? Does it work relentlessly to bring you into its joy? Now, God wants to share his joy with us. That's why we have any hope at all. Now, at the beginning, I quoted Paul's words from Philippians 2. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now, we do have the responsibility to work out the benefits of our salvation in our lives. We still have to practice the means of grace to grow our joy. But you may notice I only gave you half the quote. Here's the full quote. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his, own good, for his good pleasure. God is working in you as well. Just don't give up. Joy is before you. God is sharing it with you. Now follow the algorithm to make it your own. You pray with me. Father, we thank you for the joy that you've given us. The joy that you share with us, with your life on earth. Share that you make sure that we will have by giving your son up to save us from our sins and our mystery. The joy that you have deposited into us through the Holy Spirit. We pray that you'll work in our hearts to remind us that we are safe in your hands, that we can see you as we come to your words and read about you and remember your deeds, your salvation, and the joy that we can share with others as we get together at church and we come to this table. Father, we pray that you will help us to remember these things every week. And every week as we come here, to receive that joy and carry that joy to share with people who are outside of this church. Pray that you would work in our hearts. Pray all these in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon from New City, a church in Cincinnati, Ohio. Visit our website at newcitycincy.org for more sermons and resources. That's newcitycincy.org. Thanks for joining us today, and God bless you.